Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Our members enjoy monthly programming and probing discussions, and we hope to see you there. And today, our guest is Barry Dilly. He's 89 years old, and she reached out to us after reading a recent article about women over 70 in nextavenue.org. Barry has been a lifelong learner and activist. Her areas of interest cover movement, dance, and mindfulness, teaching, creativity, as well as health, disability services, and the quality of life for elders. She has degrees in dance, sociology, and counseling. And more recently, she trained in somatic experiencing to help people who have experienced trauma. Barry lives in rural Southeast Ohio in Athens, home of, of Ohio University. She says she never had close female friends until she met a group of smart, creative women in Athens in the 1970s. These women came together, creating a group which was known as Feminists and Faith. Being a member of this group and knowing these women over the years has altered her life in significant ways. Currently, Barry is actively engaged in helping to get Athens County certified as an ARP age-friendly county. So welcome to Women Over 70, Barry. Good to Thank have you. Yes. So maybe you want to start by telling us a little bit about feminists and faith and what joining that group did for you? Okay. I was thinking about it getting ready to speak with you today because I realized I really never fully understood what the movement feminism or women's movement meant, or I didn't know anything about it because in the 60s, I was a young mother living in Hanover, New Hampshire, where there were all guys running the school and everything, the University of Dartmouth. And so there was nothing going on there. And um, then I left my husband and went to Smith College which by that time had never had a, um, a woman principal or, or director or whatever of the school. So I get to Athens where I'm on the faculty, but still having really not been exposed to the feminist movement at all. Um, and then I meet these women who are my age, but they've started doing things. Uh, couple of the women were co-ministers at the campus ministry. How I met them, I don't remember, but I was really impressed by them. And they started getting this group of women together. And the two minister women, Carol and Jan, were interested in the um, language of the liturgy and the hymns and all the, the male pronouns. So they invited uh, some known researchers to come and talk about that. And so that was my first exposure to feminism, which was um, didn't resonate with me at that point in time. I didn't feel like I was belonging to a church and I wasn't concerned about that. Although I could understand why thinking of um, God and Jesus and all the powerful people in the Christian religion were all guys. 
that could shape people the way they thought. But I also was meeting these women who were doing things. I mean, yes, the two women were ministers, but Carol also uh, was intellectual. She read a lot. She talked about things. And then they started a group called Spiritual Partners. And I'm going, I don't know what spiritual means. My life up until that time had never been looking inward. It had been looking outward, I guess, survival and trying to match up to what was expected of me. And so all of a sudden, this introduction of looking inward, but I even had to look up the word spirituality um, in dictionary to find out what it meant. And they talked about it mostly relating at that time to the religions and spirituality within a religion. Now I could look it up and they're talking much more fully about that. But the women were interesting. And many of the women that I had met as a young faculty wife, prior to that, women would get together while the guys were talking thoughts and ideas. The women were talking about how to wash the diapers appropriately and what detergents to use. That was something we had to deal with, but I was really wasn't interested in that conversation. So all of a sudden I'm meeting women who were not talking that way, who are talking about what it means to pass the ERA, what it means to have a job in the university equal to what the men are doing. Um, another friend, Sarah Guilford, she um, was getting her master's degree in art, and then she went on to teach in the university until they got rid of her specialty, which was fiber arts. But she was fascinating and doing all these things. And then there were many others doing different kinds of things. I can't remember all of them now because time has gone on. Feminist and faith has existed about 45 years now. So when we were all starting, we were about 40, 45 years old, I guess, something like that. And now I'm almost 90. So a lot has happened to the group, the individuals in the group, me and feminism. So I had to look it up today to find out how to show you. <laughs> like Wikipedia short version said about feminism because it was more than I was able to even grasp at the time. And women would say, some of the feminists would say, well, they hated men. I said, I don't hate men. You know, um, well, we want the ERA, we want the ERA. I could understand that. And I was felt discriminated against in my job at the university, which was common then. Um, but then I also found out other things. I did get married here to a physics professor. And at that time, if you really wanted to have a home and support a kid, you needed a professor or you need a, a husband. You couldn't do it alone. My salary here, I was eligible for food stamps. So I got married to Jim and we wound up in having a home. And where was I going with that? <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Well, I was just wondering about the, because um, you've been involved in this for such a long time now, if you, are, are the issues changing or, you know, what, what issues around feminism are still with us and, and what changes do you see? Well, I'm not sure the group kept up with the feminist movement as it changed to the third world or third section or whatever they call it. 
um, because we were all dealing with local things more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more of the focus than activism in the local area because rural Ohio is a very poor area and also what was going on politically, nationally, and locally. So um, we've had people, well, Carol, after she left the campus ministry, started something called, <clears throat> excuse me, Rural Action. And it was to help the county or the small areas, the rural areas in the county to recover from when mining quit here and all those small communities wound up having no jobs, living out in the county in poverty. I think we're either the poorest or one of the poorest counties in the state of Ohio. So she started all this and um, began to help them. And one of the big things that I know about is they have the Chester Hill auction now where they auction food. So the, the farmers out in the area can take their food there and auction it off and get good prices. So there are numbers of things they've done. Uh, they've been working on trying to recover some of the water that had been polluted from the mining and restoring that. So the number of things that Rural Action has done. And I think you're going to probably have Carol come and talk to you in which, she, which case she can tell you a whole lot more about that. But amazing how much she has accomplished. Really admire, admire her a lot. And so you yourself got interested in in uh, county action, and and what you could do. And so how how did you how did you uh, find ARP, and, and how has that played a role in, in what's the work that you're doing for the county? Well, indirectly, <laughs> first of all, I became aware of the problems for people with disability, and if we get old enough, we're going to have one of those too. Um, but I was taking care of family members who um, had disabilities over, and I was taking care of them over a period of 10 years from the time they all became ill and died. Mm-hmm. So I was taking care of my sister who was visually impaired, hearing impaired, and cognitively impaired. She had brain cancer. My husband got dementia two years, was diagnosed with dementia two years later. And my mom was 92 or 93 at the time. And they were, my sister and my mom moved here to Athens. So I was taking care of all of them. And that they, everybody was here by 1998. So around that time, I was like mid sixties. So I'm trying to figure out how can anybody take care of so many people with so many disabilities? Where do you go? And I understand I learned about silos. So I was learning about aging and ARP and all of that indirectly in a way. Um, But you've learned about silos and how things are funded or not and how to manage. And I found myself driving one of my family members to the doctors two or three times a week and really feeling overwhelmed. And I tried to find out what could be done. I learned about something called the Center for Independent Living. If you don't know anything about it, it's fascinating. They have these groups in all, most of the big cities, but we didn't have one down this way. And Centers for Independent Living are federally fro- funded programs through the state that help provide services for people with disabilities. Um, directly, you could call there and they could tell you who to call, where to go. They would uh, have somebody that could recommend to make um, 
mm-hmm. ramps and things like that. But the closest one we had was in Lancaster, which is about 50 miles away. And we were hoping to get one down near about the nearer. And it looked like we were going to have one in the next county. So we didn't focus on that here in Athens. We supported the one in in Marietta. But then I'm going, okay, well, what can we do? So I went to the mayor. I just called. I didn't know where else to go. So I went to the mayor, Mayor Abel. And I said, this is what's going on. I know that I'm not the only person around here who's struggling with taking care of multiple family members. And how do you do it? And how do we get the city to be more knowledgeable about disabilities? What can be done by the city? You know, I was just sort of reaching out because I had no idea. (laughs) And I did know about commissions because my sister had sat both on a disability commission in Minneapolis and one in Salisbury, Maryland. So I knew those existed. Mm -hmm. So we got together and got got various people from various agencies. We all were talking and visiting. And it was like, well, how about this? Nope, no money for that. Well, how about this? Nope, there's no money for that. And this went on. And I finally said to Mayor Abel, if we got a commission, would you use it? And he guessed yes. Mm -hmm. So we started working on getting a commission, a city commission. And all this was taking place in 2002. So it took a few years for me to get to that place. And finally got through city council and approved and all that. And it was approved, if I remember correctly, March of 2004. So that's when we wound up getting a disability commission. And it is now functioning and alive and doing very well. What does it do? What does it do, Barry? Well, because it's a city commission, it doesn't do very much or any directly with the people who need the help. But they're trying to make downtown Athens accessible, which means going. I got a sneeze. Hold on. Well, maybe I. Um, making that the different city of uh, the different businesses on Court Street, their main city, our Mount street in the city um, to make it more accessible, how they can do that. We have uh, a lot of local brick. So some of the city streets are brick and the sidewalks are brick, making it very, very difficult for people in wheelchairs or for people wearing high heels, actually. So they started working with this and seeing you know, about crosswalks and whether you want to have um, curb cuts and how the curb cut should be and if they're working well. So they've been working a lot on that and seeing where in the town the sidewalks are impossible for wheelchairs or for people to walk. And ultimately this really impacts everyone because with kids and trying to get up and you know and walking and if you fall in holes on the sidewalk or all of these things are really a problem. So primarily that's what they've been doing. Um, Hopefully, they're also working with new construction to make the new construction more accessible. Um, A while back, we used to have Challenged by Choice, and we would ask people to take part in this, and they'd take a disability on for a day to get a sense of what it would be like so that they could help us make these changes. Well, I managed that, or I oversee that and saw that. Uh, effort one year, 
And I invited contractors, builders, architects, trying to get the people who would have an impact. I only could get two real estate agents out of the whole list. Only two came, no architects came. And we have some architects here in town who are very good at building houses that have lots of stairs. Stairs going down, stairs going up, can't get in and out without stairs. So if you keep building houses like that, you're never going to have accessible housing. So trying to make people much, much more aware of that. That same year, I did have the superintendent of schools, and he took on a wheelchair. And he said he couldn't even get to his office, which was on the second floor. So he became aware. And a minister of the Presbyterian Church also took on a wheelchair and he said he couldn't get into his own house. So some of these people really were impacted by doing this exercise. Right now, I don't think the Disability Commission is doing that anymore. Maybe they put it on hold for a while because it was done maybe around 10 years. I was sitting on the commission until a year ago when I decided it was time for me to step down and kind of start working more with um, aging situation and concerns, given I'm one of them. <laughs> so there was a group here in town that was age-friendly Athens, and it was being managed by the, oversaw saw by the uh, woman from the university. Maybe I should stop since so she can ask questions more, or am I going fine? Oh, you're, you're going fine. But just to back up a moment, what did ARP have to do with the Disability Commission? Um, it didn't directly. I didn't get there until I got to because of some disability. And then I started getting older. And then I decided to go with trying to take care of disability issues for older people. And so we were on the age-friendly Athens. And then the people on age-friendly Athens heard about the ARP effort. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the people on the committee, his sister is in Columbus and was working with the ARP Age Friendly in Columbus. So she came and talked to us, and that's how it happened. So nothing happens really directly. <laughs> so so what are you doing now in the Age Friendly category? That you, the Age Friendly Athens? Well, we're focusing on the, getting it to be a certified ARP age-friendly county. We went from the city to the county, and that's a big difference. The city um, is kind of, we have a lot of the services of just kind of fixing them up a little bit better. But if you go into the county, lots of the small towns in the county don't have many services at all. And I didn't even know that because as long as I've lived here since 1971, I've not visited many of those little towns. So I didn't know. So in preparation to become certified at our age-friendly county, um, the local folks who are uh, under the auspices of the health department right now started visiting the various towns in the county and trying to talk to some of the people there and find out what services they had and did not have, what they would like to have. And so we were getting more information to fill out all these forms we have to fill out for art. And one place I went, they had no grocery store, no health facility of any kind, not a clinic or anything. Um, they didn't have a community center. They did have a senior center, 
but apparently the seniors are really afraid to go out a lot by themselves. And the senior center was had um, a wire fence all the way around it and locked. So talk to me about how different that little town is to Athens City, hugely different. Um, and I visited a few others and heard what people were saying and what they needed and what they wanted. And what I've taken away from that a lot is that it seems that the people in power have the idea of what the regular folks need without asking them. And that has troubled me. So we begin to ask people and listen to what they were saying more. And even when we were doing the city effort, I was the only one representing old people on that whole committee. Oh. And so, you know, they would go around and they would go, they need this and they need that and they need that. And we got around to me and I'm going, I'm they. I'm the person who's representing. And I amazed. In a way, my main concern is I don't care, particularly if I live a long time and have a lot of wonderful health care and transportation, if I have no reason to be alive. If I'm going to be actively engaged in community, in my family, making a difference, then I want to be around. And too often, um, as I'm probably, you know, many older people are not really taken seriously, the invisible folks. Um, and it's a real concern. So I'm speaking up from representing the older folks. And yeah, I'm almost 89, but I may live another 10 years and I don't want to be invisible for 10 more years. I don't want to be invisible now. For sure. So what are some of the strategies or approaches that you're taking to, to raise the visibility of, of what older people need um, reason to be alive? Well, right now, I just try, for me personally, I'm trying to notice my own situation and other people I meet and get a sense of what is not being fed back to the, the committee. The committee was really active until COVID. And then we went online and it sort of slowed down a lot and we're not able to find out so much what was available. And now we're beginning to meet more. But we've now been able to get a grant to hire somebody to oversee this whole effort. And she just came on board about a month ago. And her job is within the health department but she's overseeing this whole thing. And so now that we could be more organized and um, have a sense of where we're going, how to get people on board, we're up until now been totally volunteer. Mm -hmm. And where were you able to get the grant from? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. It may be from, uh, we have something called Athens Foundation and they have a lot of grants. So I imagine they were part of it, but I really don't know. So you you talked a little bit about how you think about your own aging, and you told me you have a son who lives in Albuquerque, yet yeah. he's decided to stay in Athens. So yeah. tell us about how you're thinking about your own aging. Well, I would like to think that if I moved out to Albuquerque, that I would have a community and I'd be part of his family, and all that would be beautiful. Mm -hmm. But 
I really don't know anybody out there aside from my son and his family. And he's got a lot on his plate already and he doesn't need another burden. And I have, I've been here since 1971. And although I wasn't thinking about it intentionally, I wasn't building a community intentionally, but it seems I do have one. <laughs> and uh, when I had to have hand surgery the other day, all of a sudden people are saying, do you need something? You want me to go to the grocery store? Can I help? Can you, I wash your dishes? One woman dropped off a whole pint of blueberries she picked for me yesterday. So there's all that happening. And then I still was worried because I was the 24-7 person for my mom and my sister and my husband. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have anybody to be that. Mm-hmm. And there are times when we need that. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends have said, oh, Barry, you have so many friends. but this need became clear. I wound up having a heart attack in 2017. And I wound up in the hospital. And it was in Columbus. So my son came and he drove me home. And he saw that there were two young women in the house. And he said, oh, good, there's somebody here. And he left. Mm. He has a lot at home. And he thought things would be fine. But I didn't know where the paperwork was. The young women, one was from Brazil and one was from Saudi Arabia. They didn't know much. Mm -hmm. I didn't know whether I was supposed to go up and downstairs. I didn't know whether it was medication. I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And I was scared. Mm -hmm. And I really needed somebody who'd come in and said, hey, Barry, you're probably really tired. Come on, I'll get you to bed and let's make a cup of tea and we'll find out what the papers say. Mm -hmm. That would have settled me down a whole Mm -hmm. lot Sure. But I didn't have that. And that experience made it clear to me that I needed to really start thinking about what's next for me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go in a nursing home and I don't want to go to assisted living. Food's terrible there, I understand. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how to be proactive in this, but sensible. Um, and you know, I've been talking to my friends and I have a local friend who's agreed to be my POA and she's very logical, clear-headed, doesn't get all upset about things. So a good person to do that. Actually, she was here a little while ago. And and then I still didn't know that I, I live in a two-story house and now I'm having to start crawling upstairs and backing down the stairs if I don't go up and down more than once. And that doesn't work, but looking for a single uh, story house, they're a really short supply because of those architects who like stairs. <laughs> and I've been looking and I almost bought one about a week or two ago, but somebody got in, probably had arranged it before it even went on the market. And it would have been a perfect house for me. Mm. And in addition, it was next door to another friend of mine who has been my realtor. And we've gotten to know each other really well. And we we're talking about some of this. And he told me he would be that. He would be my 24-7. Oh. And all of a sudden, my body just went, Phew. you know, right. something, you know, you can't expect it always, you know, because change happens. But just somebody being willing to say, I'll be there for you. Mm-hmm. And my whole system just sort of just felt a whole lot of relief. Mm-hmm. And, 
he said, I didn't think you were going to be able to go to Albuquerque. It just doesn't sound like a good solution for you. Mm -hmm. And actually, my son did call me and he said he, he didn't think he thought I would be much better here in Athens. Mm -hmm. And I know the community. I have a circle of friends. Otherwise, if I went out there, I'd be going into assisted living or something. Mm -hmm. and I'm surely not ready for that. Yeah, right. It's so, definitely I'm working at it. That's the important thing, isn't it? That you're being proactive. Yes. And you're looking ahead and not putting your head in the sand and and reaching out to folks to say, who who can do what for me? And there is something else too that I'm becoming aware of. There's a tendency when we're socially growing up and whatever to have friends that are all our same age, right? <laughs> right. Well, when they're all my same age, many of them are no longer here. <laughs> That's true. And or we're all aging. And my sister-in-law, who lives in an assisted living in Pennsylvania, said that they moved in some, you know, 20 years ago. And her husband died about 10 years ago. And she's there now, more or less, in the house they bought there alone because the people all around here are having dementia issues, whatever. Mm. So I've become really aware of needing to really appreciate the people in my life that are younger than me, mm -hmm. getting to know them more, um, maybe becoming a mentor for them and then a mentor for me mm -hmm. so that I have a wider age range of um, my community. Very smart. I recommend it. Yes, very smart. <laughs> we hear that. We hear that from many of our, our guests. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. we do. Is there anything else you would like to say? Um, I think it's wonderful what you're doing, making people begin to, getting people to think about aging as a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. How we want to live our lives well as we age. We don't want to be disappearing. And we want to mean something, I think. I think almost all of us really want to mean something in our lives, whether it's nationally, internationally, locally, in our families. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. And listeners, thank you for your loyalty. Because of you, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas, and this is a good thing. But still, we need more subscribers and reviews on Apple Play and YouTube. So support women over 70 and let your voice be heard and help us change the conversation about women aging.